All right, welcome to the Pursuit of Prosperity podcast. I'm Lance Wakefield, and I have a great guest today, Bradley Crenshaw with Green Addicts. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. And uh, we're going to talk about some interesting stuff today. So Brad is into trading cards, and we dive deep on this. And man, I had no idea this world existed, so I'm fascinated by this. We also jumped into how he got his business going. It's very successful now, and some sales and marketing. So listen up. This is going to be a great one. You know, tell me a little about what you're doing, how... Uh, what what businesses you're running and what those look like? Okay, so I've got a company called Green Addicts. Uh, we've been in business here in the Dallas Fort Worth area for the last 17 years. We cover all energy efficiency, uh, whether that's from spray foam, blow in removals, uh, air air filtrations into the home, uh, attic ceiling, all that stuff. So uh, not not a not a sexy business, but yeah. a, but a, but a fun business to be in. Uh, especially in Texas, because people don't like to be hot. Yeah. Uh, so we try to, you know, make sure we make their home as energy efficient as possible, save them the most money, um, you know, and, and just enjoy being with the customers. So are, are, primar- are primarily who pays you? Like the person who owns the home oh, or is insurance company? We're, or- we're, we're paid by the homeowners because mm-hmm. uh, this is this is considered a luxury. Yeah. And, you know, it's what we do. Well, there's efficiencies too. Like, so I know like... Um, Lots of states offer rebates or like power companies like Encore will be like, hey, we'll, we'll pay half of this because trying to make the grid more efficient or whatever. Do you, do you work with any of that stuff? We don't. We don't, we don't mess with any of the, the power companies and their rebates and all that other stuff. Now, we have, we have different rebates that are given by the government for different things yeah. uh, that we help, you know, with that on. We, we give you, you know, the things you need to apply for those tax credits and so on. Mm-hmm. But we do not do any of the filings. We don't mess with any don't of Don't touch any of it. Keep it clean and simple. Absolutely. I mean, it definitely lowers the weight of the admin side of things if you don't have to do any of that. Yeah. It's already enough admin in any business. It's like, it wants to add more admin. Right. Like, yeah. uh, cool. Okay. And so that's your main business? You got any others you're working on? That's my main business. I mean, I've got I've got another company called uh, DCI, which is um, it's Dynamic Card Innovation. We do sports card grading. Uh, that's okay, a cool. childhood hobby of mine. So uh, that's that that we we consider that uh, a hobby right now, not a, not a full blown business. Mm-hmm. It's more of a it's more of a hobby. I do have employees, but uh, it's not it's not what pays the bills. So if you like if. Uh... If you were in Vegas and Pawn Stars was on, would be you be the guy that they called to to grade trading cards? Is that kind of what you do? Yes. Like, yes. hey, this is authentic. This is legit. This correct. Is, yep. Oh. yep. We we travel around all over the country, uh, going to different shows, uh, setting up for those. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'll be in Waco. shows. Like what? What? What trade the, shows? So so is this like a warehouse filled with people who are all doing like? Is this baseball, basketball, baseball, football? all sports, sports? Uh, so in, sport in, card including, trading, including TCG stuff. What's TCG? Trading card games. So like Pokemon, okay. Dragon Ball Z, that sort of stuff. What's um, the most valuable card you ever saw? Man, uh, 1952 Topps Mickey Mantle uh, in a in a tin, which was uh, $35 million. $35 million? And is this this is a paper card, right? Correct. So a $35 piece million dollar piece of paper. Yes. Oh, that is crazy. As you saw somebody actually... Did, so did, I know I know somebody who has one. He turned down thirty five million dollars for it. Turned down, so he was offered that. Correct. Oh my goodness. Yes. Thirty five million dollars for a piece of paper. Yeah. It's not I like mean, a declaration of independence but, or anything. No, <laughs> but I mean, but, but but in the sports card world, I mean, there there's it's nothing for a card to trade for a hundred grand. I mean, there 
I've got several of those in my in my house. Really? House. Yeah, it's hundred hundred thousand dollar piece of cardboard. Uh, and it's liquid as can be. You can you can flip it and turn it at any point. And it's super easy to turn it through an auction. Oh. Uh, so how'd you get into that? And the childhood, you know, I started collecting cards when I was ten years old. Mm-hmm. And then you know, I got kind of disconnected from the hobby a little bit. I used to, you know, like I said, I I was a avid collector growing up. Um, then I, you know, got into girls and met my wife and all this other stuff. Well, then my first company I ever owned, I owned a sports card store mm-hmm. back in um, East Texas. Okay. And I had that store for probably about five or six years before I sold it. Um, but then moved out of that, moved into something else. And kind of disconnected from the cards again, but then got back into it recently over the last five years. Uh, and just my experience being in the card market, um, I wanted to bring a, a value to the hobby. And so that's at the time, us doing reviews of cards for people to be able to turn them because if they grade well, they bring more money. Absolutely. Yeah. And so we started reviewing cards for customers and I started training new new people on how to grade cards. Hmm. Uh, just being in the hobby as long as I have. And, you know, so what are the that, things you look way. for? Is it like how clean the corners? Edges, surfaces, uh, and centering. Those those are the four attributes you look at when centering, like if the, when they the made frame, the card? The, yes, the frame of the card. Because hmm. they're not centered coming out of a pack. Like these are, the, you open up the packs and then you get the cards. And I can tell you that Panini is a company that produces cards. They're here local. Mm-hmm. They're in Irving. Mm-hmm. Um, they guarantee a card only to be an eight. That's it. Out of so, 10? Yes. So okay. when it comes out of a pack, there's so many cards that are uncentered. I mean, off-centered. So they might be like, so the, the card you get out of production is a huge factor into its overall value. Because yeah. you could get that same card, but it could be skewed from production and you're kind of screwed from the yeah. beginning. Give you an example. I just ball. Um, are you a football guy? Not really. I'm not really a sports not, guy. Not a sports guy at all? Not really. I mean, I follow some sports. My brother-in-law plays for uh, the Buccaneers. Okay. So, like, I watch What's his names. Name? Greg Gaines. Okay. He's, uh, kind of looks kind of like you, big, strong white guy. They plays on the defensive line. He was on the Rams for four years before that. Okay. So, yeah, that's a, that's really, I mean, the only sport that I watch actively is that. Gotcha. I watch my kid play something. Well, there, there, there's, a, there's a quarterback right now that everybody's after, which is Brock Purdy. Okay. Um, just to give you an example of how the cards are manufactured and how they don't always come out in gym and the reason that grading brings so much more value. This particular set is called Flawless. The cards are already encased into a thick, hard piece of plastic. We call them one-touches. Mm-hmm. And then they seal it over the top. That's how they come from Panini. Okay. They put them inside of a briefcase and that way. But when they come off the machines, they're printed off the machines, and then they're, then they're put into those cases. Mm-hmm. So I just purchased one on a Brock Purdy that was, uh, I paid $10,000 for it. I got it, graded it. It graded an 8.5. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't grade patch cards, thick patch cards, and encase them. So I used a local company here called Beckett, uh, and they it, it got an 8.5 on the grade. Ooh. And it's never been touched by human other than coming off the, the conveyor belts to put in. Things. So that's the reason that grading brings value to the card. So did you pay Panini the $10,000 for that card? No, I paid an individual. Okay, so the individual was like lucky enough to get that card? Pulled the card out of a break. Yeah. Out of a 
they do these online breaks. I call them online gambling. It's the easiest mm-hmm. way for everybody to gamble online. It's you buy a spot into a break, and if you hit something in it, then you know you get those cards. So, so what's a break? Is it like a hundred cards or something? You no, know, they do it based on teams. So they take the thirty-two NFL teams, mm-hmm. uh, and then you they do what's called PYT in a lot of them. So they'll they'll put a price out beside. So if you want to buy, say the Buccaneers, mm-hmm. uh, they they may have a price. You know, depending on the product to buy the Buccaneers. And if any Buccaneers cards are hit out of that particular product, you get them. Regardless if they're worth a dollar or they're worth a hundred thousand dollars. And then you you might have bought another break for a hundred bucks. I had no idea that a card printed this year could bring ten thousand dollars. Well that's like like I got well, my first question is why? Like it's a piece of paper that it's made more valuable. <laughs> but how like how how is that justified? That people look at it now as art. Oh, it's okay. it's 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 on that on that level. It's all you had to say. Yes. It totally makes sense. Uh, so, and different brands bring different you know amounts of money. Like that same Brock Purdy card that I purchased for ten thousand dollars. There's one currently at auction right now. That's what they call the NFL Shields One on One. It's the same exact card except they put an NFL Shield in there and stamped it One on One. It'll bring probably three hundred grand once the auction's over with, and it's the same card except so what's to stop the card manufacturer for printing more of them nothing they do <laughs> so that's what i was asking about the value <laughs> so it's all about the what they've done they're eventually yes if they continue to increase the print brand the print numbers of course it's going to drive the value yeah. down uh you can go back five years ago in the card market when they weren't producing as many parallels, that's what we call them, um, and those values stay up higher. You go on back into the 90s when it was super hard to pull, you know, an insert card, those bring really good money. But as they continue on through the years, they continue to increase the number of parallels so they can make more products, so they can put more on the shelf. Of course, supply and demand. You know yeah. that being in, being yep. in real estate, so everything's about supply and demand. Yeah, interesting. That's, I mean... It's really crazy that they could take literal like paper, cardboard, whatever you want to call it, and turn it into ten thousand dollars like that. But they don't sell it for that. They sell the cards for the same amount. They do. Yeah. And what does like a pack of cards cost now? Man, you can get them for as low as a dollar. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, a, a case of that flawless or a pack of that flawless is it comes in a briefcase. It's it's like a little metal briefcase, but one of those will run you seven grand. And, he, and it could have good stuff in it, could have garbage. And you're just gambling. Absolutely. Oh, man. Yeah. Sounds like fun. Yeah, I mean, I just opened up. I, I bought a case, a whole case of this product called Mosaic Football, but it had 12 boxes in there, and each box had 12 packs. But, I mean, I only paid $4,000 for the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so you pay 4000 What do you, after you looked at it all? I, I'm going to end up making, I'll end up about $6,000. So I'll make about two grand just from opening it. Not too bad. No, not too I mean, bad. I sat, I sat and watched Monday Night Football and opened up that case and made $2,000 when I watched football. Well, I mean, like if you look at hobbies, it's like you could golf. And golfing's just a money pit, right? Oh, like you just you just spend, spend, spend. You're not getting any money back unless you're pro, which you're not. Like, you know, 0.0001% is pro. Everyone else just goes out to drink beer and, and get away from home. Yeah, well, you know? <laughs> well, just, you know, golf's fun too. But I'm golf's big, fun too, right? I'm a, I'm a big hunter. Mm. 
So that's that's another thing. What type of hunting you do? Man, I, I hunt all types of big game, and I'm a big duck hunter. So I just come back from a hunt this last weekend. Yeah, where'd you go? Uh, down in Bandera, South Texas. Okay. You like go on a ranch or something with someone? I've got a friend of mine down there that's got a thousand acre ranch. Ooh, that sounds like and fun. So we went down, I killed a couple of whitetails, and then I killed a big red stag down there. You got, uh, do you, you take the meat to like a butcher, have them cut it up and eat it, or what yeah. do you do? Yeah. You stock a freezer? Man, my freezer stays stocked. Yeah. You don't eat venison? Uh, sometimes, but I don't, I haven't, I don't hunt. I've never yeah. even been hunting. So you don't hunt, you don't like sports, do you play golf? Not really. Okay. No. So you just you just, you just buy and sell homes. So huh? I, I I like making money, and then I got four kids. So and so I, do I. Yeah, I lift weights and I lift weights, make money, and uh, hang out with my family. That's true. Well, that, that thing there's nothing wrong with it. I travel a lot. I travel That's a good. ton. That's like our, our big like last year, man. We we spent I think 16, 18 weeks of the year traveling. Just like went to Brazil for a month last summer. That was a lot of fun with all the kids and. Went to Europe for a while, went to Nantucket, went to Costa Rica, went to, I mean, just all over. How old are you kids? Uh, seven weeks today is my little guy, and then five years old, eight years old, and 11 years old. Nice. Boys, girls? Girls the oldest, the rest are boys. How about you? I got four daughters. Oh, man. <laughs> Brave. <laughs> how, how old's the oldest? So the oldest is 29. Oh, dang. Okay. Uh, my, she already been through the rough patch. My baby just, we just put her into, she's a Texas Tech, so she's 19. Okay. So you're, you're through the worst of it, from what I've heard. I'm through that. I've got five grandkids now. Okay. Yeah, that's not, so, that's not so bad, man. You look great. I would have guessed you to be my age. You know. You couldn't be my age with a 29-year-old. This is living right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Living right. Yeah, okay, I, so trading cards and but, hunting. But the girls, when they when they were younger, they, my wife used to ask me all the time, Brad, why do you have to be so mean to the boys when they come over? I said, you know what? I'm not there to be their friend. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm not there to be their friend. Mm -hmm. and, and that's just the, the the mindset that I took. And so, yeah, I love hunting. I love I love hobbies. I, I play golf. Mm -hmm. I collect sports cards. Yeah. I travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, you know, you, you may collect real estate. I collect businesses, you know, yeah, so that's, I like that's, it. That's what I like. So man, sports cards, I never would have guessed that I had no clue. It was even my radar that a sport car could bring 35 million. That is insane. I'm sure there's ones that bring more too. I mean, the guy refused the offer. So yeah, I mean, there's tons of cards that have sold Tom Brady's champ tickets. They bring around a million and a half to 2 million. That's and they don't print those anymore. Like Tom Brady doesn't play, so they can't print them anymore. They still print Tom Brady cards, but we're talking about their rookie. So that's a 2000, mm -hmm. you know, contenders rookie mm -hmm. on Tom Brady. So, uh, you know what I mean? There's LeBron James, 0304 is his rookie. Yeah. His his big cards will bring, you know, a couple of million bucks. It's crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. Yeah. So let's switch over gears a little bit here. So the in the your main thing, your green attic space, how did you get into that? That's like a really... Like I know guys who HVAC and they're HVAC techs yep. and that all makes sense. But how how'd you get into that space? So I back I'm trying to think back. It's probably been about twenty five years ago or so. Um, I had just me and my wife just gotten married. Uh, I was looking for some more work and I started out as a uh, installer uh, for a guy doing like, that particular HVAC. Work doing insulation, radiant barrier, that sort of thing. And so I would travel all over doing, you know, the insulation, radiant barrier side of thing. Well, then I decided that I wanted to break off and do my own cruise. 
And so I then started going and, you know, doing the direct mail and mail into, I started going to Arkansas, Northwest Arkansas, down in Houston, direct mailing all these customers. And then I would go and do this sales presentation in mm-hmm. home. Then I would come back with another guy and me and that other guy would install the entire work. And so I did yeah. that up until I got business up and going. Yeah. And then I ended up hiring on a second helper and I, I worked with them until I got them comfortable enough to where I could have them go do the jobs on their own. Mm-hmm. And then I went and got another helper and just continue to grow that way. Um, you know, which is, which has been great. Yeah. Um, that's a, I mean, and that, that type of business you're in, it's, it's so needed here. Like in Texas, the, the inefficiency that I see in homes often is insane. I mean, I'll see holes in the side of homes and it's like, I can only imagine the stuff you've seen over the years. So why North, you say Northeast Arkansas? So uh, North, Northwest Arkansas. Northwest Arkansas. So up around the Bentonville area. Yeah. So the way I used to have to do it back in the day was I would go to the tax offices and I would pull a tax roll of what, you know, now we've got companies that do all that for you. Uh, But I would go and pull the tax roll to get like home values, homeowners, that sort of stuff. So I could create my mailing list Mm -hmm. to mail to those particular areas. And I tried to find the areas where the kilowatt hour usages were up higher, so they were paying more per kilowatt hour too. Yeah. Uh, and that way I knew that they had high electric bills, mm-hmm. and I went in there to try to reduce those electric bills, and they, they were a lot more receptive to what I had going on. So that makes a ton of sense. That's what solar companies mm-hmm. do now still. Like Hawaii, if you've been to Hawaii, Hawaii is just all solar. Everybody's got solar there because it's 40 cents a kilowatt hour. Yeah. It's four or five X what it costs here. Yeah, that's great. So it's like, yeah, solar just makes yeah. sense with those numbers. Um, whereas here, it's, it makes sense, but yeah, that, that's a very smart way to do it. So you saw up in Northwest Arkansas, power was pricey and so was Houston. Yes. So you, you went for it. I targeted those two areas. Absolutely. That's tricky too, because it's such a physical business. You have to be there. It sounds like a lot of, a lot of back and forth. A lot, a lot on the road, a lot of traveling, a lot away from home. Yeah. So how did you manage the mark? I mean, cause essentially you're managing the marketing you're managing the sales and you're managing the operation. How do you manage all that? Do you have help or? It's called time management. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spend, I am a, I am a planner to the T. I know where I'm going to be at just about every minute of every day. Uh, and it's the only way that I operate. If I do not have a plan, I cannot operate. So uh, when do you so, plan every day? What's that? So like for today, for example, when did you make today's plan? So today's plan was made yesterday afternoon. So I, I fine-tuned that. So I basically, I take, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I have a routine in the mornings and I have a routine in the evenings. Mm-hmm. The middle is filled in if I need to fill in. If it's not already full the day before, you know, or, or earlier in the week, then it's filled in the day before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically I keep the same routines that I have in the mornings and the same routines I have in the evenings, and then I fill my planners up from that point. Okay. Um, and I operate off of a planner. Use uh like your phone now? No, I use a, I use, use old school paper. old school planners with a with a I like to physically write everything down. So you write down where and do you do it in like fifteen minute increments or thirty minute increments? So you you plan every day. Do you do like a weekly planning at the beginning of every week? Mm-hmm. So you um, monthly, yeah. quarterly, yeah. annual? Yes. Everything about me is a plan. Interesting. What how, how, what what brought you to operate that way? When I realized that work was only going to be productive 
if I had a plan, that's the only reason that I started doing it. If I'm not, if if I try to operate without a planner or or try to just, what I use the a term that I've used several times before, I have the Jason Bourne effect or approach, not the Arnold Schwarzenegger approach. So I dial in like a sniper mm-hmm. on a daily basis, mm-hmm. and that's the way I operate. I don't go, I don't spend my day, you know, firing bullets away hoping I hit something. Yeah. Um, and just being effective that way has helped me over the years. Um, I didn't always used to do that. And as as I started getting more busy and more productive, that's when I realized I had to have a schedule, a plan, and know exactly what I'm doing. And it's the difference between an entrepreneur and an employee. Well, hundred percent. An employee yeah. has got to go to work and be like, "Here's the stuff you got to do today," yep. and they're going to go get that done. While the entrepreneur, or the business owner, is like, "Here's the things that have to get done today. These are your tasks." And they've already identified those things and they're saying, here's your task, go work out your tasks. Right. It's pretty hard to be, I mean, the way you plan is is unique, I would say, but uh, it's pretty hard to be a successful entrepreneur if you don't have some level of that. You have to know what needs to get done, what needs to be happening, and then make sure people are executing. And it's very hard to do that if you don't know what needs to get done. Correct. And 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 that was, that was then. That's not now when it comes to like, there's no way that I could do everything yeah. with my business. Mm-hmm. Um, then I could because it wasn't as, as, as large scale as it is now. Oh, absolutely. But now I have to have good people. And I, I tell everybody all the time, I'm only as good as the people I surround myself with. Absolutely. Uh, and so I have those core people that I know I can count on and they get, they keep the ball moving forward. They, 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 they keep things rolling and I don't have to, I don't have to think about it. How do you find those people, those core people? Uh, uh, one out of about a about a hundred. You'll go through a hundred before you find one. Yeah, it's you know. I mean, I don't I don't interview based on you know whether or not if you have a degree. I could care less. Yeah. Um. That that piece of paper means nothing to me. Mm-hmm. When I get somebody in, I, I I'm a pretty good judge of character. When I get them in, uh, and then we just kind of build from that point. I'm I'm a guy that um requires them to earn a trust from me. I don't give my trust away. Uh, and the minute that they, the minute they break it one time, I'm done. Like, you just, you let them go? I let them go, I'm done. Um, I have zero, if I can't trust you, I don't need you. What's an example of like, and I don't want names or anything, but like <laughs> an example of where someone's broken trust and you've let them go. Uh, so uh, for example, I've had somebody that has told me that they were taking care of a customer. They had went to that customer's house that day mm-hmm. on, a, on an issue and that they, they were under control. They had it taken care of. Found out the next day that they never went to that customer's house. They had talked to them on the phone. Yeah. When that was something they should have been at the house on. Mm-hmm. So I called them in and let them go. Fair enough. Especially if they said they were there. 100%. Um, it's like, where were you? Yeah. 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 Um, I feel like in today's world, uh, that mode of operating could be frowned upon. Oh, I'll give them a second chance, you know? And, uh, I, I agree with you, particularly on simple, small things like that. If they are lying about that, what are the larger things that they may be lying about? It's really important, that trust. So how do you, once you, you bring someone in, 
and you've identified them as someone you want to work with through your judge of character, do you give them small pieces of trust and trust them slowly with larger and larger things? Or how do you, how do you kind of grow that? Uh, I mean, everything it's, it's, it's the small pieces. It's the, you know, it's the, it's the, you know, the, the bottle feeding, Mm -hmm. so to speak, as we go, go along there. Uh, and the more that I see that they have a good work ethic or the more that I see that I can trust them, the more that I will give them. Uh, and then we just continue to build from that point. But you, you mentioned something a while ago that I want to touch on. Yeah. Talk about softness uh-huh. in this world right now. It's terrifying. It is horrible. Mm-hmm. Candace Owens, I was watching something on her the other day and she was doing an interview and she made the comment that this world is tough. Get a helmet. Yeah. And that's, that's. The people that are soft around here, I have no use for. Yeah. If you come into my office, you will not last in my office if you're soft. Mm-hmm. First of all, I probably won't even hire you. Mm-hmm. So. I couldn't agree more. I mean, it, the idea that people shouldn't be offended in life is crazy. It's like, in order for me to operate and think and express, I have to risk offending people. And... I want people to risk offending me too. Mm-hmm. It's not a one-way street. I don't think I should be able to offend people and people shouldn't right. be able to hurt hurt my feelings or offend me. That's life. And if you're not prepared for being offended, you shouldn't be in life. <laughs> no. I mean, that's part of life. Is It's going to happen. And when it does happen, it actually offers you uh, something to reflect on. Mm-hmm. Like, well, why did that offend me? Because in my opinion, offense is a choice. Mm-hmm. When you get your feelings hurt, that's your choice. You can pick to how you react to anything. And so if you want to react in like a, oh, poor me victim mentality, you can. And that's going to be the life you live. If you want to operate in a, hey, what can I learn from this? That sucked. I didn't like that feeling. I don't want to experience that again. What do I need to do differently? Or how do I need to like look at things differently? Or what lens do I need to put on? And you self-reflect. It's a lot easier to change yourself than it is to change the world. 100%. There's people who do change the world, but it's a lot easier to change yourself. Yeah. (laughs) So... No, I love it. I think there's a, a lot of that going on right now. And then when I see, you know, the things that are happening in the world and the direction things are going, it's concerning to see, you know, the potentiality of large scale wars happening. And then when I see the, a lot of the youth of today, I'm like, oh, we don't, we don't got a great line of defense right, right here, right now. Not. I did just see that, um, I think a bill just got passed that, uh, the don't draft our daughters bill. And, um, they're trying to, to be able to draft daughters. And I, I remember a congressman, I don't know who, I don't know what side, doesn't matter, but they got up and they're like, over oh, my dead body, you'll draft my daughter. And like, I couldn't agree with that more. Like what kind of man would let his daughter Correct. come war before that? I don't care if I'm 60, like, you're not driving my, my daughter, or my granddaughter, like I'm going to step in. I would rather me go and die than any of my children. But you know, my boys are boys. Yeah. It's part of what you get. It's part of being a man. You do got to go defend your country, your family, those things. But women, that's not their place in my opinion. Call me old fashioned. No, uh, uh, I totally agree with you. Yeah. It would be crazy to me to, bye sweetie, good luck in the war. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> what what man could say that to their daughter, man? Oh, there's no way that I could sit there and allow that to happen. Yeah, you got four daughters. I just yes. got the one, but like, yeah. I couldn't imagine being like, good luck in war, sweetie. Like, yeah. no. Who could do that, man? No. That's terrifying. So... So as you got your business going, you got things, you got things working, you and I started out very much the same way. Like I started out setting the marketing, answering the phone, showing up to buy the house then overseeing the repairs and overseeing the sale, the whole, the whole spectrum. And then 
And I was like, look, of all this stuff, I hate this part the most. So I hired that person first. <laughs> and then I kind of picked, okay, of all the stuff that's still left, now this is the stuff that I don't like the most. So I hired that person next. And that's kind of how I built and scaled my business. How did you make that decision of like your first hire? Well, whenever I got to the point to where I wasn't able to, you know, fully handle everything on a daily basis. From a time perspective? Yes. Yeah. Then I knew that I needed to bring someone else in to help. And, and uh, did you just look at what, what takes the most time and I need someone to help me with that thing? Or how did you decide who I you had, should As my from? wife puts it, you know, uh, she she says that I, I hired people to start off with to take the shit work. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I did. Yeah. No, that's fine. Um we, you know, I did, I did the same thing. Like the first person I hired was someone to answer the phones when people called yeah. because one that's demanding from a time perspective, like someone can call 24 seven really. Mm -hmm. And so it's like being available, make myself available 24 seven is unrealistic. But then also I'd get calls and because of busyness, I may not call them back. And having someone whose specific job it is to make sure that every single person who reaches out in any way that we are getting back to them, they're talking to a real human being. We're doing everything we can to see if we can serve them. Yep. I wasn't great at that. And so that was that. And I didn't like doing that. I like talking to people. I was fine with that, but just making sure I didn't miss anything. It just, I don't know. I, I don't have anxiety, but that gave me some to think like, Hey, I'm spending a lot of money on marketing. Yeah. Like, you know, with the direct mm -hmm. mail, it is not cheap. No. So when those calls come in, you have to capture them. Like, Oh, can't even imagine yeah. missing those calls. And then there's, there's the cost of the marketing then also the cost of the missed deal. Like if, like, let's just say on a deal we could make a $20,000 of revenue, we miss that, that's also $20,000 of top line that gets missed and you're still spending the expense to make it happen. Correct. So, yeah. Where did you, so you hired your, your people to do the work you didn't want to do. That's how it started. Where'd you go from there? Man, I mean, if... From there, I mean, we just continue to scale. I mean, at that point, you bring on new salespeople, you bring on more installers, you bring on more office staff, you bring on uh, attorneys now, and and yep. you know, CPAs, and mm -hmm. I have all of those th those now. You have the it's, whole crew now. I have everything. Yeah, um, you know, and I mean, it's just it, it, as we continue to grow and and the business continue to push forward, we just continue to hire those those positions. How much time do you spend working in the business now? Um, Probably, I still, I have a saying that I tell everybody that I can teach you to make as much money as you want to make. I just need a half a day's worth of work. And they're like, that's all I got to work to half a day. I said, absolutely. You choose what 12 hours you want to work. <laughs> and so that's just, that's what I tell people. But me as a business owner, I mean, I'm, I'm always got my hat on. I yeah. Mean, I mean, so I still spend, I, I'm an early riser. I'm up at four or five o'clock every morning. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm in my office and I'm working out. There's something about me that says that if I like to get a jump on the entire world. Mm -hmm. And so getting up early and working, I'm spending all my time in the morning on the business. In the, in the middle of the day, I may be on an appointment. Uh, this is still considered working on the business. I'm talking about my business here. So you still so, go I mean, on sales appointments? I still go on sales appointments. I still travel. I'll go. Uh, I just come back from, we've got some contracts in Oklahoma, San Antonio, Houston, Austin. Uh, and I just went and traveled around to those, mm -hmm. uh, you know, getting estimates, taking care of those because I didn't want to pull my team from here to go out and do that stuff. Yeah. Um, there's still times that I've gone and I've loaded up a truck and went and done an install because there's been some conversation around the office, boss, you, you, you don't know what you're doing, you know? And I'm mm -hmm. like, you know what? 
load that truck up. Let's go. Yeah, that's so cool. I don't mind getting in the trenches and doing that. Yeah. So for me to say how much time I spend on the business, 24-7. Um, that's just what I do. I feel like that's kind of entrepreneur life. Yes. You know, it's like it. It I don't spend, I wouldn't say I spend 24-7 on it, but the hat's always on. Mm-hmm. Even if it's, you know, turned around or whatever, it's still on there. And if something comes up, it's it's just like with the family. It's like something comes up. That's that's what you have decided you want to do when you have a family, when you have a business, you decide to be responsible for those things. I always wear my hat turned around backwards. There you go. I feel like the bill in front of me there, I'm going to miss something. It, <laughs> it, it shades me. I can't, I got I got I got to be able to see my my full. Yeah, I like I like a little <laughs> bit of shade, man. Throw some shade my way. So, how do you find prosperity in your life? What do you define it as, and how do you how do you go after it? Man, prosperity for me is is going to be, you know, being able to, um, you know, look back, you know, on my my work and my career and my life and be able to say, you know what, I gave everything I could to make that business successful, and that is now passed on to my kids mm-hmm. uh, in, in legacy, prosperity, all that stuff. So uh, to be, for me to get to that point, though, I've still got a long ways to go. I'm not. I'm not nowhere near ready for any type of, um, you know, ready to hang up the boots and and call it a day. Never satisfied. No, I like that. Um, and and I see way too many people that when they reach that point, they decide they want to retire or step away that, uh, and live that prosperous life. Mm-hmm. They just wither away. Totally. And for me, I want to stay sharp. Um, there's a reason that I still train in, um, mixed martial arts is because I want to be able to stay top of my game. It's the reason I still load up a truck and go do installs. There's a reason that I still go on sales appointments. There's a reason that I still plug in on, on all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that I'm staying sharp. Not that I'll always do that. Not that there won't come a point where I'll pull back and, yeah. and do some other things. But, um, you know, I mean, I'm also always, always buying you know, something new or looking for a new business, you know, so it's a, yeah. Like Goggins says, stay hard. Yes. If you, once you, once you soften, once you loosen, getting hard again or getting sharp again, it's painful. Mm -hmm. I've gone through that process of becoming sharp or becoming hard and it's not easy and I don't want to give it up. It's like you work hard for that. Mm -hmm. And so keeping it is paramount for me as well. I understand exactly what you're saying. So as you as you built this business and you've 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 come to this point if you could go back and do it again what would you do different mm, great question i don't live with regrets mm-hmm. ever um i also don't live looking in a rearview mirror mm-hmm. what could i have done or what should i have done um but if I had to think about, man, to be honest with you, there's nothing. You do it the same way. I over. do it exactly the same way. I mean, I, I, I just don't, I don't, once, once I've moved past something and go on, I mean, I believe that everything that I have done has either, it's made me better in some shape, form, or fashion. Um, whether it's tough times that I had to go through, uh, because of a bad decision that I made or, 
whether it was, you know, making this great decision, but then making a terrible decision that cost me more money, you know, on something. So mm -hmm. I just, I feel like the things and the trials and tribulations that I had to go through to get business where it is now, I wouldn't change anything. I mean, it's. I like that. I, I respect the answer, man. Uh, I, one thing that I heard you say that's kind of interesting to me is, so you've got kind of sounds like a core business here in Dallas mm -hmm. and then, but you still have jobs in San Antonio, Houston, and Oklahoma. How do you, how do those jobs fall into your lap? Like where does that, where do those. It was all based. Uh, it's, it's all, you know, contracted stuff that we picked up. Um, you know, that's not, not a norm for us. Yeah. Um, it was just some opportunities that, that had been, you know, brought to us that we, we were able to, to take care of. So we mainly focus in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Yeah. How do you, how do you market to your, your, uh, your clients now? Uh, so, I mean, we have a high Google rating. Uh, we've got uh, very good Google reviews mm -hmm. online. We use, we, we market through magazines. Uh, I've got those like those magazines that show up at the house that have concepts. Yeah. We're in a home concepts magazine, the home type magazines. Mm -hmm. Uh, we do, um, I've used another company where we do a lot of Facebook ads. Mm -hmm. So we like, we run stuff on sponsored Facebook ads to where they'll, they'll click through a couple of questions, you know, yeah. sends leads that way. Of course, we're on all of the, you know, home advisors, better business bureaus, all that stuff. You, uh, you still do direct mail? Do not do direct mail anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, I've actually thought about doing it again, but there's just so much that I just don't know that, that it's going to be as effective as it used to be. Yeah, we, we, I've been in and out of direct mail for years now, and um, I'm firing it back up now. Are you? Uh, yeah, I'm going to see how it goes. Like, a lot of people don't do it anymore. I know. And so and a lot of people have fallen out, and a lot of, a lot of real estate companies have gotten uh, – gotten crushed recently. I mean, the interest rates and lack of inventory and all these different things have impacted a lot of um, competitors. And so I think there's a lot less people doing it. So throw my hat back in the ring. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, and, and if you think about it, even the magazines, I mean, that's a form of... Yeah, it is. I mean... So. It's like bulk direct, direct mail, kind of. Yeah. And I mean, we get a lot of business from that. Mm -hmm. You know, from, I, the, from the magazine side. I would imagine those home concept magazines, the, uh, the people who advertise in there do pretty well. Yeah. But I mean, we also... We, we get a lot of referral base. My guys are involved in a lot of networking groups. Mm. We do, if there is a high profile person in Dallas Fort Worth, I guarantee they're going to call my company and we're going to be the ones to do it. We just get that business. Like the Dallas Cowboys, the, mm -hmm. the musicians, that sort of stuff. So we get all of those. How do you make sure you get all those just from your reputation or reputation? And it's, it's all about the neighborhoods. We, some, some of those particular neighborhoods that we work in, they only work with people that's referred by other neighbors in those neighborhoods. Yeah, yeah. And so once we're in those neighborhoods, those are usually the referrals that we get from all the rest of them. So, uh, like, I mean, mo most of your athletes are not just going to pick up a home concepts magazine, you know, and yeah. call somebody out of it. They're going to ask their mm -hmm. neighbors or, you know, somebody in their homeowners association as to who to call. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. What's your avatar home? Like, what are you going for? So, I mean, we go in for the three-part system, so we call it. Uh, that's that's basically what we're going in. And, I mean, it doesn't, it's not, you know, the ideal situation for every home. Uh, but, I mean, our three-part system is radiant barrier, solar ventilation, uh, and insulation. Uh, and so we go in and kind of attack those, those, those things and make sure those levels are good. Um, a lot of people have tech shield in their house now, which is the solar board. 
with the radiant barrier backing on it. Okay, yeah, yeah. Before they put the roof mm-hmm. on. It's not as effective as the true radiant barrier. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are our three things we go with. The radiant barrier versus spray foam, do they work together or do they go? So radiant barrier, ins- proper insulation and proper ventilation, I can get the same effectiveness on your electric bills as if you spray foam for which is going to cost you a lot more money. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, it just depends on what you want to use your attic space for. I mean, if you, you've got a huge walk-in attic space and you want to use it for some storage, then, yes, you may want to go foam. in and spray foam it out because you can keep the, the temperatures, you know, pretty, you know, equivalent to what you do, you know, your your, your house. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I just, uh, we obviously, all, like, I own a lot of uh, rental property. We would never even consider any of the stuff you guys do in it because it's like you said luxury mm-hmm. it's um you know there is an increased power bill but the tenants pay the power bills correct so there's no there's no motivation for uh me as a landlord what do you what would you is there a way that and this might not be a question you can even answer but is there a way that it would make sense for me as a landlord or that you've worked with landlords in the past where it, it has made sense for them to do something? So I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. What most most of them do, they call us just to bring their insulation levels up. They need the bare minimum in the house. They don't care about what that utility bill is. That is strictly on the renter. Yeah, just the renter, code the renter doesn't care because they're usually there for a short period of time. Yeah. So it's just basically making sure they've got the proper insulation in the house. Sometimes that's a you know just a top off mm-hmm. of the insulation to bring the levels up. Sometimes it's a you know, that it's a situation where we have removed an occasional insulation issue uh, in there and blown in all new, but most of the time it's just come in and do the bare minimum. I'm shocked by the number of homes that I bought in Texas that have zero insulation. I'm talking not in the walls or the attic. And I'm like, how? It's 2023. You've been surviving and these homes are built, you know, most of these are probably over 60 years old. So it's mm-hmm. like this home's been here in Texas where it's this hot for 60 years and had no insulation shocking a lot of a lot of the brand new homes a lot of these cookie cutter homes that they're building what we're finding with those is they're all under returned on the air so they're wondering why their electric bills are so high they don't have enough return air that's moving through the house you can go and put a new return air in there and sometimes that's all they need crazy you know so it's crazy that i mean texas is looser as far as regulation goes but they it's crazy what builders get away with here. Oh, it gosh. shocked me before. I look at going homes and I see a wall on the walls bowed, and it's just it's not not like bowed. Like if you put a level up to it, it's, it's like visibly bowed, and it's sitting on like hardwood where you can see the hardwood lines and the covers lines and then the uncovers lines. And I'm like, how? Who okayed this? <laughs> you know, it's shocking. What what's some of the craziest stuff you've seen in in homes you've gone into? Oh man. I've been in some pretty nasty ones. Well, I believe that. Uh, I mean, I don't. I don't know if there's anything super crazy, other than you know, just 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 nasty. Uh, like, I mean, I've been in some attic spaces before that, no joke, had this much rat feces piled up in it. Yeah, uh, I believe that. And then you go to them and you talk to them about you know doing a removal. Uh, you know, and sanitizing and deodorizing the attic space, and they wonder why the inside of their house stinks. You know, they just bought the home. You know, and and then you, it's it's not a, not a good conversation. Yeah, that that bringing bringing um, you know, we we refer to everyone refer to everyone we work with as sellers because we're we're buying their homes, their mm-hmm. home sellers. But our clients we work with, I mean, a big part of the job that I explain to the guys that work with me buying homes is like, 
part of your job is not fun, but it's the reality conversation where people are living up here in the clouds and you got to bring them down to reality in as nice a way as you can. That's where, like, it's not necessarily negotiating, but negotiating is creating mutual understanding. And um, one of the things I like to tell guys is um, one of the hardest or one of the best indicators of a good negotiator is being able to disagree without being disagreeable. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not like you've got to disagree with them when it's like, well, uh, that's not the problem. Yes, 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 Mr. Seller or Mr. Mr. Client, that, that is the problem. You've got four inches of rat poop across your whole attic. That's the smell that you smell in your home. And they, you know, they, I, I, I don't work with your clients, but I can imagine that my, there's my, a lot of denial that comes from that. Yeah, my definition of uh, negotiation is helping someone understand my way of thinking. Yeah. That's, that's. Mm-hmm. That's the way I look at it. So where did you learn how to like, not the install side, but the marketing and the sales, where did you learn how to do that where you could go out and basically build a business off of those skill sets? Trial and error. <laughs> <laughs> so give me some examples have, of that. I have no college degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I had no experience in that. Uh, the sales side of things, when I was 18 years old is when I got my first sales job. It's so back in the day when you had to open up the paper to find a job. Mm-hmm. And my, I had just gotten laid off of work. My wife was uh, pregnant. You're 18? So, yeah. oh, it's a lot of responsibility for so, 18, man. I know. <laughs> and so we, uh, I, I had to figure out something. And so I opened up the paper, got in the classifieds, found a job, was selling vacuum cleaners. The which ones? Those TriStar vacuum cleaner, not okay. the Kirby's, not but the they, Kirby's. Yeah, the, okay. the, the tri, TriStar vacuum cleaners. And so I went in, got the job, started going around. And this was back in the day when you didn't have to have like the badges, you know, and the certifications to go to neighborhoods and do door knocking and all yeah. that other stuff. So um, basically, I would load up a vacuum cleaner or two in the back of my uh, truck. We would, I would drive to a neighborhood and I would park and I would go and I'd knock doors. And I would try to convince somebody to let me come in and give them a presentation of a vacuum cleaner. And then, after that two-hour presentation, then I had to try to convince them to buy a $2,000 vacuum cleaner or finance it. Finance a vacuum cleaner. I can tell you how many vacuum cleaners I financed for people. And... When I was doing that, I had sold so many vacuum cleaners and made so much money that I thought, you know what, I'm pretty damn good at sales. Uh, and that's that's kind of where I got my experience on the sales side mm-hmm. of things. Um, the whole marketing, the marketing has just been, I've learned, I still learn more on marketing to this day. Yeah. Like there is so much and it's always changing. Always. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, the laws and regulations in the insurance world, they're always changing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, um, it's just, it's a trial and error thing. Do you, uh, yeah, with sales, sales is very much, you know, trial and error. And it sounds like you were playing just a numbers game, knock on this many doors, make Mm -hmm. this many presentations, sell this many units and turn that over. And I feel like for me, there was a switch that happened in my head. Once I realized that sales became so much easier because it's like, well, this person said no, but I know that I'm going to get this many no's before I get a yes. So I'm just getting closer to my yes. Correct. Like 
But having that mentality and the mental strength to do that, most that's, people lack that. That's that's the problem with most people is they they can't take rejection. They take it personally. Yes, hundred percent. So my the way I get myself, you know, psyched up every day, and I used to do this every single day. I get up and stand in front of the mirror and I look at myself and be like, "How many no's can you get today?" Mm-hmm. Not not how many jobs can you sell today? It was how many no's can you get today? Mm-hmm. Let's let, let's see if if yesterday I got ten no's, let's try to get eleven today. Mm-hmm. And I would just go to, uh, you know, like that. I mean, I, I used to do, you know, the phone calls, you know, to, to book appointments. Um, that's another avenue of my business that I kind of, I moved out of that and I started, I decided I wanted to become a financial advisor. Okay. So I had to go and get a GED because I dropped out of high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, got a GED, went, got all my license. And started doing that where I would have to cold call people and get appointments. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife used to call me uh, at the office and she'd be like, uh, do I need to bring your supper to you at the office or are you coming home tonight? Yeah. Because I had a goal, I called it 10 to win, and I needed 10 appointments set for the next week before I leave the office on a Friday. Oh. And that's I would stay up there until I got them. That's hardcore, man. Yeah. <laughs> There's also like I've been in, I've been in those those shoes before, and it's like what sucks is when you haven't gotten to where you want to get, but it's kind of cutoff time. Like mm-hmm. I've been there before, where I I have to quit because you can't knock on doors after a certain hour without people getting violent. <laughs> yeah. So I've I've been there before, where it's like I'm forced to quit, and man, that's those are the hardest times for me. Like I'd rather be out there still in my mind, like I can make this happen. Rather than getting to the end and being like, I wasn't able to do it, and I literally have to stop. My my wife is a huge supporter, huge supporter. Like I I literally showed up at the house one day, and she answered the door. She said, you "Sell anything today?" Mm-hmm. I said, "No." Nope. She said, "Don't come home to you." <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a unique <laughs> type of support right there. <laughs> but hey, it's I mean, like going back to what we were saying earlier, it's better than like, oh, come in here, poor baby, and like. No making you feel better, it's that that doesn't help. No. It's like that mentality of losing is not an option. Mm-hmm. Like um, I was telling somebody this weekend, empathy for me, there's empathy and sympathy, of course. Mm-hmm. Empathy for me, I'm probably on a scale of about mm, five. I mean, I can empathize with, with most people. Mm-hmm. Sympathy level for me, I'm like negative five. <laughs> like it, I have no sympathy for anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody, everybody lives a tough life. Everybody goes through stuff, you know, Tighten up your bootstraps, go to work, push through it. Uh, yeah. You know, there's no reason for you to sit around and, and, and pull the poor, poor pitiful me. Yep. So. It doesn't, it doesn't serve you. No. It, it, uh, it might feel good for the moment, the attention, the coddling, whatever might feel good in the moment. But a uh, big part of success is sacrificing uh, current satisfaction or comfort for future. future. Yeah. And mo- a lot of, I feel like that's difficult for a lot of people to, I mean, if you take something like you said, you, uh, you, you still do martial arts. It's like you do that because you want to be prepared in the event, but also to keep your body sharp and to keep right. your, and it's not fun while you're doing it, but how you feel when you're done is like, oh man, I mean, it's there, great. There has been numerous days that I've walked in the gym at, to, and to train and not want to be there. Mm-hmm. And, and I got up and I, I made myself go like, get up out of bed, body hurting, Knees hurting, wounds mm-hmm. hurting because you just got locked in an arm bar the day before. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I mean, going in there, you know, loading up on ibuprofen some days, mm-hmm. but still pushing through, walking in there. But when I can promise you 
there has not been a single time, not once, that I not want to go, that when I left, I looked at myself in the mirror and was like, I'm glad you came. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you came. Today, today's a good day. I feel like, um, you know, toxic masculinity gets this whole bad rap. And I feel like a lot of people say all, all masculinity is toxic. And uh, one part of masculinity that I, I really value is doing, like, doing what needs to be done even when you don't want to do it. Like, if we only worked when we wanted to work, <laughs> when would anything ever get done? It's My wife wouldn't be spoiled if that was the yeah, case. We, it's like, I, I have to, I have to show up whether I want to or not. Like you can probably hear my voice. Like I'm not a hundred percent today. I don't care that I haven't been a hundred percent since last Wednesday, but every single day I'm getting up and doing what I got to do and still putting in the exercise, doing everything I got to do. Now there's times where I will understand that my body needs to rest, mm -hmm. uh, or my mind needs to rest. And, but that's not that often. Like the last time that I took a, a, a legitimate rest day for being sick was May, 2020 when I had COVID. But that separates the difference between an owner mindset yep. and a renter's mindset. Yep. Yeah. Right? I mean, Absolutely. It's, it's, you know, as being an owner and, and not just an employee or a renter, mm -hmm. you know you've got to get up and push through it. But you can, can tell you how many times I've gotten phone calls or people that have sent text messages, I'm not coming in today because I don't feel well. And they got a little cold like you got. Yeah. Yeah. That would be that. But that's also why the compensation is what the compensation is for the role. Correct. You know, like you, you get input or equals or output equals input. You put in, you know, this additional effort. And it's interesting because it's not that often. Mm -hmm. Like I don't feel good, but today's, we, we've had two or three work days. Yeah. I haven't felt good. And this will probably be the, the time this year. So you think of during the, the year, you've got 250-ish work days. So let's say five of them I don't feel good. One per one, two percent, whatever it is. Two yeah. percent of the time I don't I'm not great. Well, that extra two percent, that's the difference, man. It's like well, the other everyone else is working all the other days too, just like me. But those few days that you push through, mm -hmm. that's that two percent of effort. You're already making ninety eight percent of the effort. You don't want to make the last two percent. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's just uh Yeah. I get it. It's small, but people, it, it, have you seen, I, I it's not like a meme, maybe it's a meme, but it's like um, these guys who stop just short of gold. Like they're mining for gold. You see a going down a thing and it's like, they still got this much dirt left and gold's on the other side and they quit right there. That's that too. It's that last little bit of effort that a lot of people don't want to make, but that unlocks so much. And a lot of it's just the mental strength mm -hmm. to be like, don't feel good today. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Don't feel like it today. Doesn't matter. I still got to do it. Mm -hmm. There's days where I go to the gym and I go through the motions. I don't go super hard. But the yeah. fact that you show up, you go through it, you do it every time, just like you, man, I'm glad I came today. Yeah. Never have I ever been like, oh, I worked out today and I wish I hadn't. I wish I'd have stayed in bed a little longer. Yeah. No. Never. Never have I ever. Every time I get up and push myself, I'm always glad I did after. Yep. Creates that mental hardness that you need to keep doing wildlife. So what's next for you? As far as, uh, you gonna keep doing the green addicts thing. Well, how long are you going to do that for, man? 17. I'm, I'm, I may retire. Sounds like a fun plan. I'm not retiring. We just talked you know. about that earlier. <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm always, I've got a few things I'm working on now. Nothing that I want to share. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you know, but, um, 
I'm I'm always always plugging away, always always looking for new opportunities, always, um, you know, just 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 working. It's just it's in my DNA. It's 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 what I do. You gonna grow the trading card thing at all? You know, I mean, yes, but I mean, it's not like taking priority for me right now. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It's it's one of those things that I enjoy going on the weekends, and I I make good money. Yeah, I mean, messing around with the cards. Yeah. Um, you know, and I keep the people in the office that keep, you know, the business going, but it's not, the business itself is not, you know, super profitable, but my knowledge and my trading of the cards is super profitable. So yeah, that's, you know, it's kind of like a day trader, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with, with the way I look at it as a day trader with inside trading knowledge. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the way that I do things. And inside trading in that game is totally legal. Yes. It's all good. Yes. Have you ever, um, here seen anybody get like, uh, not like a get rich quick, but like, you know, I guess gotten lucky, uh, and where like they buy something for some, you know, hundred, 200, 500 bucks and they come out with a card worth half a million or something. Oh yeah. Tell uh, me about that. Like, yeah. tell me, tell me a story. Well, I mean, I can tell you, I can tell you a, a story, you know, with the whole cards and and placing them at the right time mm-hmm. on where, you know, I made really good money with that stuff. So I went to a Dallas card show, which was a local show here. It comes here every two months. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd already had in my mind when I wanted to go there and buy. Um, I, I felt like there was a few cards that, that that were, you know, right on the bubble of exploding. Yeah. And so I went and I bought a Topps Chrome Steph Curry rookie graded in a 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and I bought some Tiger Woods cards along with it. So I sold the Tiger Woods cards, which put me into the Steph Curry for $5,000. Okay. That's all I was into that card for. Turned around, I picked up another Tom Brady uh, SP Authentic card. I uh, did a trade for that, and I had about forty grand in that card once I walked out the door. So just in those two particular cards, I had $45,000 tied up, basically. Mm-hmm. I then, a month later, the market really started bu- making a shift on those as I you know, thought they might. I sent the Tom Brady to auction. I sold it for $120,000. I then followed right back up with the Steph Curry and I sold it for $90,000. So 210 minus 45 is what? What? 65? Yeah, man. $165,000 profit in like 60 days turnaround. That's crazy. Not too bad. I mean, I'm still like every time you keep talking, like I keep asking about this because I'm just, my mind is boggled right now. <laughs> I had no idea. Like that is a whole other arena. Um, and it's cool. The other thing I like about the trading cards is they're small, highly valuable, easy to keep. Like you pop them in a safe and it's like, if you tried to have that much in gold, yep. you would need a big safe. Correct. There's <laughs> a big safe. And I keep some in my vault at the house. I have another vault service that I use, which mm-hmm. is up in Oregon, mm-hmm. uh, because if I buy cards online, uh, and you ship them directly back to Texas, you're charged a sales tax. Mm. Uh, but if I ship them to Oregon, they're sales tax. They're sales tax free. Yeah. So I can ship them directly to my vault. Yeah. So I I don't have to pay the sales tax on them, and I can sell them directly out of my vault. So that's awesome. Never touch my hands. Yeah. And that's just another avenue that you use. How does that work with like taxing and stuff? I mean, I get a ten ninety nine on stuff that I tax. Okay. Sell. Yeah. But then I mean, it's the same as anything else. What did I spend? Make mm-hmm. profit and loss. All that good stuff. So. And then all the time you spend at shows and travel yeah. and all that, you write it all off and write all that off. And then I mean, I can also go back and buy more inventory, which I, then I can 
classifying yeah. the yeah. inventory yeah. and then, then offset all my balance sheets. Uh, it's it's all playing numbers, man. That's a fun game, man. And I mean, I bought a Jordan card that uh, I bought it in a nine. I gave $40,000 for it to Jordan Rookie. Bought it in a nine. Took it out to PSA, which is out in California. Had it re-reviewed. They bumped it up to a 10. And then I sold it for three hundred grand. Oh, so that was a $260,000 profit, and I turned that one in 30 days. Jeez, that's crazy, man. I mean, still, though, like, for me, the 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 cojones it takes to lay out 40 Gs for a piece of paper is just like, <laughs> I mean, you know what you're doing, obviously. But I man. bought a Patrick Mahomes car for $190,000 before he won his second Super Bowl. Okay. So, so how does, like, okay, that's interesting, actually. So... Let's say you buy a uh, some like someone's card who, you know, they're a rookie. They're they're a professional athlete, but they haven't made the impact yet. Is, is that, that where you get all that prospecting? So it's like, hey, I I believe this guy is going to do good. It's like a whole new form of sports gambling. So the best the best way for me to describe that to you is when you buy like Michael Jordan's, Tom Brady's, those guys. That's like buying an American Airlines stock, mm-hmm. you know, or an Apple stock or, you know, one of those. Amazon things. before yes. it pops. And that, well, that's always going to hold a higher value, mm-hmm. right? When you go buy a prospective player who, has nothing, who hasn't proved anything yet, that's like buying a penny stock. Mm-hmm. It could go way up or it could go to nothing. Yeah. And so prospecting is good when you're doing investing in the card market but be prepared that you could lose money really easy there. Yeah. You're not going to lose money on the goat side of things. Yeah. You know, that's a safe investment. That's, you know, that that's just a safe place to park some money that's going to steadily go up over over a course of time. But if you want to really flip and make you can go in the the whole prospecting. What about like I've made some terrible decisions there too. So it's not all been great. Yeah, yeah, no. I, I mean, I've 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 bought some stuff that ain't worth the paper it's printed on. Them. Yeah. What, what about what about when like professional athletes or, or professionals do really stupid stuff, like 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 Tiger Woods whole like remember there's a period I don't remember exactly when but he had an affair and drug abuse or whatever and his his name just took a big hit. Does it does the card value also take a hit when that happens? I mean it it took some yes, mm-hmm. uh, but I mean it didn't take a whole lot just because of his, his you know stats and things. Yeah, he's but, still. Yes. I mean, I don't know anyone else's name in golf other than his. So it's like, he's still the GOAT as far as golf Absolutely. goes. Like, it's not going to change anything, but I'm curious. I was just curious. But if then that you take somebody that. like Ja Morant, mm-hmm. who coming to the league three or four years ago was an NBA superstar. People were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on his cards. The dude goes out, pulls a gun out on live stream. Mm-hmm. And gets kicked out, you know, banned from the NBA on suspension. Um, they let him back in. He does it again. I mean, do this second time in like a strip club or something. Uh, yes, like yeah, that's something like, so really? stupid. And it's just like, so so in that case, it did go. Oh, yeah. So that's why prospecting or going after people who aren't proven yet, yeah. is a huge risk. It's a it's a risk. So a lot of times what I like to do with those guys, I will say I have been very good. I have not put money in somebody who has done something stupid like that. Mm-hmm. I have put money in people who haven't panned out, Yeah, but nobody who's done 
because it goes back to what I said earlier. I, I'm pretty good at character judgments. So I go before I start buying and I, I follow all their social media accounts. And then I start watching them mm-hmm. and I start looking and seeing how they carry themselves before I ever start throwing money at it. I don't just, goes back to my whole, I dial in my approach before yeah. I do anything. Um, you know, it don't always work out to be perfect, but it does help. It's cool because, so part of the reason I don't watch sports or care about sports is because I don't do like the uh, fantasy drafts. I don't sports bet. And now I, I, I know that there's also buying and selling cards. Like that gives sports a lot more, um, makes it a lot more interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, you got a dog in the fight, so to yeah. speak. And so when you've got someone's card and you're really hoping they do well, because if they do, that card becomes more valuable. That's that's a lot more fun. It's a lot more fun. I mean, that that would give me a reason to go watch sports, you mm-hmm. know? It's like, oh, well, I want to see how this guy does because I invested 40 grand in his card. Yeah. So let's let's hope. <laughs> oh, man. And then, then you know, they get, they get tackled, you know, like, or, you know, they twist an ankle, you know, mm-hmm. and they get up limping and you're just like on your knees, like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh, no. And yeah. So, uh, and there, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of pressure and a lot of anxiety that yeah. comes, you know, on the whole, you know, investing in the players that are currently playing. If you've got a whole lot of money tied up in those guys. Yeah. I don't ever worry. I mean, I don't have to worry about Michael Jordan. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I don't have to worry about Tom Brady. No. Nope. I don't have to worry about Wayne Gretzky. I don't have to worry about Tiger Woods. Mm-hmm. Those are, those are goat players that you can put money in. That's a safe investment. That's awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate you coming out today. Yeah, Thanks you. for the great conversation. I've learned about a whole new world today that I didn't know existed. I'm glad you came, man. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for coming. Bye-bye. Thanks. Okay.